following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopenb.com. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. If you have your phones, you may get them out. I'll know that you're just just looking at the scriptures. You're not looking at any potential football game today or anything. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And let's hear from God's word together. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open this passage to us, that you would speak to us in new and encouraging ways, that we be transformed because of the gospel like this man Zacchaeus was transformed, because of our hearing of your word that never goes out empty, but returns a crop 40, 30, 60, 100 fold. And so we pray that that would happen in our hearts today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our house, one of our bedtime rituals and putting our kids to bed is to sing them songs. This is a way the kids love to extend bedtime in our house. They say, no, one more song, one more song. And all of our kids, you know, they'll have a different variety of songs that they like to choose. Some of them have their special songs that they just love. And there was a period of time in our kids, our older kids, Jack and Gabe, when they loved to sing about Zacchaeus. They had, in fact, two songs that were about Zacchaeus. One, the traditional one that you've probably been humming to yourself ever since I started reading. And there was another one that uh, a group called Rain for Roots released. But the kids called them both Zacchaeus Was. I'm not sure if they thought Was was his last name or what, but they called it Let's Sing Zacchaeus Was. I'm like, all right. So I would start singing. And then right before I'd get to the end, right, they've got to milk it for all it's worth. Right before I get to the end, they say, no, 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 not that Zacchaeus was, the other Zacchaeus was. So they would get two songs out of it. It's funny how much kids love this song. There are some stories in the Bible that just capture kids' imagination, and I think it's because they have a lot in common with, with Zacchaeus, right? He's small. He likes to climb trees. He's a sinner, right? They've got all these things in common with Zacchaeus, so they just really relate to the story. But I think for us as adults, it's easy for us to miss the beauty of this story. We can trivialize it and think of it as a kid's story and miss the beautiful display of the gospel, of, the, of grace displayed 
in this story to Zacchaeus. So we've been looking at the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, that Jesus is going to the cross. And we've taken some time to look at some of Jesus' teaching, his teaching on prayer and his teaching on uh, um, freedom from anxiety and worry. We also talked about the tact, uh, how the uh, Pharisees, when they heard Jesus, they actually hated what they heard because Jesus challenged them and said that they were like whitewashed tombs, that they, that they were doing things only for the appearance and not because their hearts had been truly transformed. And so this opposition grows to Jesus. We only got to take little snippets of this journey to Jerusalem, but now our journey is kind of coming to an end. In the story of Zacchaeus, it's actually the climax of all that's happening, right? It's the last real thing that Jesus does before he enters Jerusalem. And Luke couldn't think of a more fitting way to encapsulate all that Jesus' uh, ministry was about. He couldn't think of a better story that showed who Jesus was, what his mission was, what his, what his whole life was about as this story of Zacchaeus. And that's why he closes with it, not only just because it happens on the way in, in, to Jerusalem, but because it really is a, a great picture. This is the only found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke must have thought this is the story that shows this great theme of my gospel, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You'll probably ask yourself, how did Mike come up with a theme with our passage you know, this morning? How did he come up with it, right? To seek and save the lost. Well, it's because this is the theme of all of the gospel of Luke. But we're going to look at how this plays out in our story. We have a picture playing out for us of how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So we're first going to look at who Jesus seeks and saves. Then we're going to look at how Jesus seeks and saves. And then we're going to finally look at what happens when Jesus seeks and saves. So first, who Jesus seeks and saves. Look back again at verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Just setting the stage for us, letting us know where we are. Jesus is on this journey. He's coming from Galilee in the north. They would cross over the Jordan River and go down south on the what is that, the eastern side of the Jordan River, and then they would cross back over. I'm not sure exactly, I didn't track all the geography that makes that the way they would go, but they would cross back over the Jordan River, kind of like the people of Israel did way back with, uh, with Joshua, right? They cross over the Jordan River, and he comes to the city of Jericho. Now Jericho was, again, think about kids' songs, songs that kids love, right? Everybody knows the so song about Joshua and uh, the Battle of Jericho, right? So Jesus also comes to Jericho. But this is not the Old Testament city of Jericho that the walls came tumbling down on, right? This is actually a new city of Jericho that was rebuilt about 200 years before Jesus. It's only a, like a mile and a half away. It's really close. But it was a new city, and it was, uh, it was a, an extravagant city. It was a beautiful city. It was, it was known as the City of Palms because it was this garden oasis of a, of a town. This... <laughs> If you want to know what I do to prepare for a sermon, right? I spent probably a good hour on Google Maps this week, touring around the city of Palms, touring around Jericho. And the second you leave the city of Jericho, you are in a desert wasteland. There is not a shrub, not a blade of grass, not a tree anywhere. But in Jericho, they've got palm trees to this day lining the streets because there was a source of water nearby. The water would flow down from the mountains from a spring and it allowed Jericho to flourish. In fact, it was such a beautiful city, it was so temperate, King Herod built his winter palace in Jericho. 
It was close to Jerusalem. He would come down to Jericho, had this beautiful weather, and it's really cool. He actually would loan it out to Cleopatra. Isn't that funny to think about? That <laughs> King Herod was a, Cle- uh, a contemporary of Cleopatra. And Jericho is a place that she stayed. It's so crazy. But Jericho is only 15 miles from Jerusalem. It's 3,500 feet straight up this rugged uh, mountainside to get to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on this final leg, this final stage of his journey. And that's where in verse 2, Luke gets our attention. Because <laughs> look what he says. He says, behold... He's wanting you to to lock in, right? Something surprising happens. Behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. That means Zacchaeus was from a Jewish family, and his name means clean and pure and righteous. His parents must have had really high hopes for him, right? They're like, we're going to name him clean and pure and righteous. But I think for Zacchaeus, probably sometime when he was in college, when he was studying finance, he decided, I'm going to leave my parents' values. I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to go become a tax collector. Because in his heart, he had this, this idol of wealth. He had this idol that he wanted power and success. And so he was willing to become unclean, to become corrupt, to become unrighteous in order to get what he wanted, what he really wanted. And so he becomes the chief tax collector. Now, we're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. We know he's a tax collector. But this is actually a really big deal because Jericho was one of three main cities in in the region of Israel where the trade routes came together and the Romans set up custom houses. They set up uh, taxing booths for everyone who would come in and out of that city to have to pay taxes. And that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, tells us that there are actually lots of tax collectors in the city, but he is the most successful, he is the most important, he is the most powerful, he is over all of them. And the way it would work was if you were shrewd, you would have some money and you would purchase the right to collect taxes in that city. So he paid Rome a fee, and then Rome said, okay, as long as you get us the money we need, do whatever you want. And so Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors, they would add a percentage, or maybe two or three or four, right, onto whatever the taxes they were supposed to collect in order to become wealthy. And there was nothing the people could do. They had the backing of the Romans, the Roman soldiers, in their, you know, in their tax booth to make people pay. And so tax collectors were despised and hated. They were despised and hated because they worked with their Roman oppressors, right? The Jews hated the fact that the Romans ruled over them. And so they hated Zacchaeus because he was a collaborator. He was a traitor to his people. That made him unclean. But they also hated him because of that dishonesty. They they knew, I'm only supposed to pay 4%, but he made me pay 7. He's stealing from me. He's extorting me. And so they counted tax tax collectors with the murderers and robbers, right? That's, That's a pretty low position in society if you're in that same group as people who rob, beat people up, and people who murder people, right? And that's where they saw tax collectors. They were shunned. Zacchaeus would not have been allowed in the synagogue. He would not have been, people would just pass by him and ignore him. He was a social outcast, and he was a religious outcast. Luke tells us one more thing, though, about him. He's a chief tax collector, but he's also very rich. He's extremely wealthy. If you were a tax collector, you would naturally get wealthy by your job, but We find out later the crowd assumes this about him, and Zacchaeus actually admits it, that Zacchaeus got really wealthy because he would defraud people. He would take advantage of them and cheat them and extort them. And so 
if you're just reading these first two verses, you don't know the song, you've never heard the story before, you would think, man, Jesus is really going to give it to this guy. Because you remember what Jesus said just a few, a few verses back. If you have your Bibles, look back at Luke chapter 18. So there's a section of, of Luke here in 18 and 19 that have a lot of themes in common. So if you flip back to Luke 18, verse 18, it says, A rich ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he became become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus just got done telling a story about a rich young ruler a ruler of the synagogue, a great Jewish man who had lots of wealth, was doing great, was obeying the commandments. Did you notice? All the commandments that the rich young ruler kept, basically Zacchaeus breaks them. But yet, Jesus is going to transform the life of Zacchaeus. The rich young synagogue ruler, you'd think he would be somebody who could respond to Jesus. He's kind of a good guy. He just needs that little extra push from Jesus, right? But he can't because he was extremely wealthy, and he went away very sad. So what hope could there be for somebody like Zacchaeus, this wicked, unclean, unrighteous tax collector? So we see that Zacchaeus, though, he has a problem. He wants to see Jesus, we're told in verse 3. He says, oh, sorry, flip back to chapter 19. He said, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Zacchaeus has a problem. Zacchaeus has a problem, right? He wants to see Jesus. He wants to find out who he is, but he can't. You know, he probably heard about Jesus, right? That Jesus was pretty well known. There were stories around him. In fact, we'll look in a little bit. Jesus just healed some guy. So maybe he heard a commotion outside about Jesus who just healed a blind man. Or maybe he'd even heard that this teacher from Galilee, that he actually speaks positively of tax collectors, When everybody else shuns them, Jesus speaks positively about them. Maybe he heard that Jesus told a parable that it was a tax collector who went home saved, and it was a Pharisee who was lost. Or maybe he even heard that one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. So maybe he just wanted to see, who could this rabbi, who could this teacher be? We don't know for sure exactly what he knew about Jesus at this point, but he's got to see who he is. But the problem is there's this huge crowd following Jesus. And Zacchaeus, as we all know, is we. He's small. And he can't see through the crowd. He can't see over the crowd. So he has to come up with a plan. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Again, we're thinking about the context of this story. Look back at chapter 18 and now verses 35 through 43. I'm not going to read it all to you. But Jesus has another encounter with somebody who can't see. There's a blind man on the road to, uh, to, to Jericho, and Jesus stops because he hears him say, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he stops and asks, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, I want to see. 
And so Jesus restores his sight. Jesus just restored the sight of a blind man. He had trouble seeing, but now he comes to Jericho, and there's another guy who has trouble seeing, but they have a very different reason why they can't see. But this idea of seeing is all throughout our passage of Zacchaeus. It's it's a really cool thing when you see it. Zacchaeus couldn't see, but he's trying to figure out what he can do. So he has a plan, right? Jesus, Zacchaeus comes up with the plan. He's gonna, he knows where Jesus is going. He knows he's on, on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So he just runs ahead on the road. He finds the biggest tree he can find, the sycamore tree. He climbs up it, and he's going to wait until Jesus passes by, until he can see Jesus pass by. And he waits. Now, I want to stop here and take time for us to think about what does this mean for us? What does it mean that the person that Jesus seeks and saves in our story is this lost little man named Zacchaeus? Well, first of all, it means that if you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I mean, I'm in church, but if anybody knew really who I was, if anybody really knew how lost I really am, they would know I don't belong here. There's no hope for me. This story tells us there is always hope for even the worst of sinners, for even the most lost. Remember back in, in chapter 18, you know the rest of the story that happened with the rich young ruler, right? He goes away sad and he says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for someone to enter, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples, they're shocked and they say, well then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's what we see pictured here in Zacchaeus. We see the worst of sinners, the most excluded, dirtiest person they could imagine in the city of Jericho, and that is who Jesus seeks to save. Because Jesus can seek and save you, and he can seek and save me. That is who this Savior is, the Son of Man, who seeks and saves the lost. It's a good thing for us that we can see this truth. But it's also good good for us this morning to see that Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus. So if you're here this morning, and you're not yet a follower of Christ, it's a great thing that you're here. We are so glad that you've come, because we can't see Jesus on a road and climb a tree like Zacchaeus. We see Jesus in his word. So you're here this morning, and you're getting a picture of Jesus, and we are so glad that you came to seek out a little bit of who Jesus is. So we've seen that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, like Zacchaeus. Now we're going to see how Jesus seeks and saves. So look again at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. In verse 3, we noted that Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, but... Remember, the theme verse is actually that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that's what actually happens with Jesus here. It pictures this idea, this great theological truth for us. That when we think we were the ones who sought God, we were the ones who came to church, we were the ones who opened our Bible in that hotel room or or responded to the gospel when somebody said, yeah, that's true. But the greater truth behind that is it's actually God who seeks us out first. It's God who takes the initiative to save us first. He's the one that makes it happen. We can't seek God. Romans 3.10 tells us that no one seeks God. Not one. We need God to seek us. 
We need the regenerative power of the Spirit to make us alive because we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We can't seek him on our own. But we get to see in Zacchaeus this little picture of a man becoming alive. We get to see his heart become open to the gospel, and he goes and seeks after Jesus. But really, God is seeking after Zacchaeus first. So we see Jesus take the initiative. Jesus came to the place. He looks up, and he calls to Zacchaeus. Think about what would happen. Imagine what would happen if Jesus just passed on by, if Jesus just kept on walking. Zacchaeus would have seen Jesus. He would have got what he wanted. But think about what that would have meant for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have looked and seen this man who there was nothing in his form or, or majesty that we should consider him, right? He's got this ragtag group of fishermen following him. It would have let Zacchaeus keep Jesus at a distance. He would have been able to make up his mind who Jesus is. He would decide, yeah, you know, maybe Jesus has got some good things that he teaches, but, you know, the Savior of the world, yeah, probably not. Maybe he's a way to God. He can, like, teach us about God, but he can't be the way to God. Without Jesus seeking him, Zacchaeus would have still been lost. He would have not come to salvation. But Jesus takes the initiative. He seeks and he saves this lost sinner. And he calls him by name. Notice again in verse, in verse 5, he says, Zacchaeus. How did he know his name? Well, of course he knew his name. He made him. And Zacchaeus could have thought, Man, maybe Jesus doesn't really know anything about me. But the reality is Jesus knew everything about him. There's a great line in uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's about the level that I usually work at. Uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes this. He says, Jesus knew all about him. He knew all about the stealing and sinning, and yet he still loved him. And he was stopping on the road to save him. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew his name, and he calls to him, and he says, come down. I must go to your house. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, this would have broken, like, all the rules. Even today, like, somebody's talking about a party. You don't say, hey, can I come? Right? You wait to be invited. Back then, even more so. But Jesus, he says, hey, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. He's not... It's good, because in the song, right? I'm thinking again about being... You know, in, in my uh, kid's bedroom singing the song to them. And I, I have to be careful because I always get a very stern voice when I sing that part. I say, Zacchaeus, you come down. And I have to think, wait, that's not the voice of the good shepherd. That's not the gentle voice of Jesus calling his sheep. My kids love shouting that part, but I say, no, that's not how Jesus talks to Zacchaeus here. He says it gently. But firmly, he says, I'm going to your house today. It's necessary for him to go to Zacchaeus' house. This is a divine appointment. Jesus is stopping on the road to the cross, on the road to save all his people. And he stops to save this one guy, Zacchaeus. By going to his house, Jesus was, was saying, I accept him. I, I love him. He's not too far gone for me. Though Zacchaeus was rejected and despised, Jesus accepted him. Though Zacchaeus was hated, Jesus loved him. Because Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And the crowds get it. Right? You think, oh, Mike's way out there thinking, oh, this shows that Jesus loves him. No, the crowds get it. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest 
of a man who is a sinner. They know that by going to his house, Jesus is showing acceptance and love for Zacchaeus, and they grumble against it, which is so strange in this context because look how they respond when Jesus helps the other guy who couldn't see. Verse 43, all the people, when they saw it, when they saw that Jesus had healed the blind beggar, they gave praise to God. They were fine with Jesus healing some guy, but the fact that Jesus would save a sinner like Zacchaeus no way. No way. He can't go to a sinner's house like that. And this, was, this is so neat. This is what they always said about Jesus. This isn't this like one-time event for Jesus who's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll hang out with this guy. No, Jesus was always doing it. Luke 5, 30, he says that, that they accused him and they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Luke 7, 34, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Luke 15, the great passage about Jesus seeking the lost, the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, Sally Lloyd-Jones helps us out in, it, in her book, Thoughts That Make Your Heart Sing. She summarizes the passage this way. She says, the important people sneered. Jesus is the friend of sinners. They were right. Jesus loves sinners. They're the whole reason he came. That's the beauty of this story, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, a good application, I know we're getting close to the end, a good application for us is this. Do we have the same heart that Jesus has? Do we see the lost and take initiative and go to them to take the good news of Jesus to them? I uh, told this story in our staff meeting when I was in high school, I had a buddy, Matt, who, uh, he, he was a great guy, followed the Lord, loved the Lord still to this day. And, uh, but I remember he would go and hang out with this group of friends, this girl that used to go to our school. I went to a Christian school, like fine upstanding kid. And he would go hang out with this girl who left the school because like she like got in trouble. She was like a drinker. And I was like, why do you go hang out with her? He's like, well, you know, like she needs somebody to love her. And I was like, no, I don't want to be somebody who's like around people like that. I didn't want to become tainted. I didn't want to become a sinner like that and be associated with somebody who drinks in high school. But it was cool that my friend, he went to her. So often, though, we don't take the initiative. We act just like the crowd here. We grumble that Jesus would do this. We don't, we don't act like Jesus and take the initiative to go to sinners. We don't invite ourselves over. So what does it look like when Jesus saves Real quickly in verses 6 through 9. First we see, we see rejoicing. When Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to his house, he hurries down, scrambles down that tree, right? And he rejoices. He says it comes joyfully, but it's actually a verb. He was rejoicing that Jesus is coming to his house. Probably not often that a tax collector was excited to have a Jewish rabbi come to his house. But he knows that Jesus is welcoming him and accepting him. And so he rejoices. When we come together for worship, we are rejoicing in the beauty of the gospel. We are rejoicing in what Jesus has come. So we sing out loud. It shouldn't be something we do quietly, but it can't help but overflow from who we are. So we see rejoicing, but we also see a reorienting of life. Look at verse 8. He says, first of all, that he's going to give half of his possessions, half of his wealth to the poor. 
the guy who gave up the life of being clean and pure and righteous to become a tax collector, he's changed. And no longer is the idol of wealth in his heart, but it's been replaced by Jesus. And so he says, I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor. The guy who is greedy is now generous. The guy who is greedy is now gracious because he's met Jesus. Because Jesus has come to stay with him. A new affection has replaced the old. But he also vows to make restitution. He's repenting. He says, yeah, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll give four times back to them. The law required that if you cheated somebody, if you stole from them, you had to pay them 20% extra. One-fifth. But Zacchaeus is going to pay 400% back. That's how serious he is about making right the wrongs that he has done. He is following Jesus, and the idol is gone from his heart. He is transformed and changed. He's left that counterfeit God of wealth and power, and he's following Jesus. And so I love Jesus' response. Jesus is helping Zacchaeus know what's taken place in his heart. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you gave up all that stuff, now you're saved. No, he's saying, this is what's happened to you. That's why you're rejoicing. That's why you're acting this way. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Jesus is confirming that Zacchaeus has faith in him, that he has been transformed by the gospel. And now he no longer is on the outside, but he's actually a very son of Abraham, not just physically, but now spiritually. He's now included in the kingdom of God. Because we see that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He is the friend of sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It teaches us this beautiful gospel story. It reminds us of the truth that has brought any of us here. Lord, we pray that you would move in us a new understanding of all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, help us to live like him, to follow his example, to take the good news of the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost to the world. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.